You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. And welcome back, folks, or welcome back. Welcome to Business Eye. Another week, another Friday, myself and Simon butting heads again, trying to find the positive parts of life in our lovely Dublin. Lovely Dublin. And it's a strange time. Our government are shuffling around, not knowing their arse from their elbow, making decisions and confusing the public as everyone sits back and says, what a load of gobshites. That's what they are. And that's the mood of what everybody is saying out there, apart from a small few. Simon, how are you, my friend? How are you? I'm good. And yeah, talking about confused, I, I was just saying I'm tired. I was up at four this morning because my our elder daughter, Catherine, has gone to France for two weeks to do some paid work au pairing. And I, I had my first encounter with this whole PCR thing, and it's confusing because she was sent a, she was told she had to get a PCR 72 hours before flying by Aer Lingus. She booked it in. She had the test three days ago, and she was told that she would get the results 11.59 p.m. last night. We woke up this morning. She never got a message. She flew to France. Nobody at Dublin checked. Nobody in France checked. She still hasn't had the result of the PCR. So what's going on there, Joe? There's someone who's receiving an awful lot of money up at the top level while the peasants, the peasants just look and, and offer out their cap for their special income that they're receiving. Do you know, Simon, there's one thing at the moment. I know it's on everybody's mind and it is this segregation that our government are trying to push for the vaxxed and unvaxxed. My own opinion on it is I don't care if someone is vaxxed or unvaxxed. I do care about segregation. People are saying, oh, you have to have compassion. For me, morally, I would not enter any establishment that would offer such segregation to the population. And what people need to remember, these rulers, and I'm calling them rulers today, can only make the systems and it takes people to consent for them to work. My motto is, I do not consent, I do not participate. What's your thoughts on that, Simon? I think everybody deserves a choice. I, my, my concern is, and it's probably amplified even more in the UK with this, this, this decision by Boris Johnson to to say to everybody, you know, free will. I guess the flip side there is you're going to get a lot of fear. You know, you're going to get people who have been led to believe that a mask is the be all and end all, um, not going to places. And so I think the whole thing is just a complete mess. You know, I I don't really see a way through it. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's funny as well. You know, my uh, we've just moved into a place uh, locally and we were looking through all the posts from the previous owner and there were lots of handwritten messages from Mr. Leo Varadka, somebody called Leo Varadka. And, and it was we've kept a couple of them and saying, you know, oh, please, we need your vote in Dublin South. We need your vote because we're a marginal. It was a really long, really long, long handwritten thing. He must have a lot of time on his hands, Joe. To write in it, yes, he does. If he's not out partying, partying as he was seen, uh, he was seen the other day in a marquee having a party and... The story, we could write a book, we'll write a book. Thinking about, you know, stories and thinking about the wonders of the world. We have two people that have been on our show before. We have Brian Kennedy and Eddie Hobbs, and they are here today to discuss the Great Recess, the Great Recess, Davos, the Atlantic Council, the World Economic Forum, Build Back Better. The elite are telling us that we will own nothing and we will be happy. And tough if you're not happy. It's all a bit of poo-poo. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. I have my own theories on it of what's it about. You know, when they when they say you'll be happy and you'll own nothing, do we own anything at the moment? That's the question that I'm sort of pondering around. It do we own anything at all? Tell me, Brian, what's your thoughts? What's your thoughts? Oh, Joe, I can see where conspiracy theorists kind of come from because the communication is just abysmal. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do like to kind of like to think that my own thinking is a bit strategic and I will go and do my own digging and I'll try and find out exactly what's going on. But it's really difficult actually to get a handle on 
different messages that are coming out because in one day you're told one thing and another day you're told something else and then something is right it's okay to it's okay to wear a mask and then it wasn't okay to wear a mask and then all of a sudden yeah you must wear a mask so there's a lot of those things very very kind of difficult to get your head around and then you kind of go into as you mentioned earlier, the Davos thing and what are people saying to you? What's changing in the financial system? Is that going to affect what you own or what you're allowed to own? Unless you actually get proper information about what's going on in the finan- high-level financial systems that, that are being used. So you've got the, the quantum system that came in that's running parallel to the SWIFT system. Quantum is you know built by Russia and China and SWIFT is owned by the US. But all of a sudden everybody's going onto this quantum system. Which is AI, uh, correct? Yeah. Do, do you do you you know you worry about whatever assets that you own and will you own them in the future? Because the communication is just terrible. Well, I think we need to be careful not to conflate things too much uh, at this point. I mean, we have in the background the World Economic Forum. Uh, it's highly evolved thinking on the Great Reset. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's up on the website. Go and read the bloody thing. Uh, it, it drills down into all sorts of policy areas. And it's very much a kind of um, almost a socialist, communist type of an agenda. It's amazing to read that it's actually there in black and white and you know promulgated and advocated The World Economic Forum, of course, are the same people that are behind Davos every year, which brings in the wealthiest um, uh, class in the world, the top 1% of 1%. um, And they're deciding what what is the best way for for the world to govern itself into the future. And that's very deeply concerning for anybody with with even a a smidgen of, of democratic thinking in their heads, because... This is bypassing democratic chambers like Ordal and uh, and parliaments throughout the world, where the very wealthiest people are getting together and deciding how the how the how the uh, how the world should be carved up, especially with climate change coming in. And uh, like you know, Adam Smith said years ago when he wrote The Wealth of Nations around that time, you know that any time when competitors get together. Um, uh, you, you need to be careful because the, the the conversation eventually comes around to some kind of conspiracy against the public to raise prices, you know, and that hasn't changed. So you have to be very, very deeply suspicious of the very, very, very wealthy. I mean, we're talking about levels of wealth. that wouldn't be an Irish person would get within, within an arse's roar of the type of we're talking about that are deciding how the... Um, how the planet should, uh, you know, the systems that should run the planet. And uh, now that's fine. It can chat away and promulgate away and put it out on the internet and so on. But when it's not being discussed in our own democratic chambers, I'd be concerned about that. When it involves senior officers in the EU uh, as part of the kind of the, the, the World Economic Forum Club, I'd be concerned about that as well. So really, um, it's almost like an open... Uh, Masonic Lodge in the old days, you know, uh, having these discussions and and everybody say, oh, sure, let them, let them away. But I think we need to keep a very close eye on it. Now, when mm-hmm. I say don't conflate it, I think we just need to be careful uh, about the current policies around um, COVID-19 and the pandemic and seeing that it's all kind of interlinked. I don't quite see it like that. I think it's more that the World Economic Forum see what's happening at the moment as a wonderful opportunity to uh, change the behavior of the of the of the of the great mass of plebs. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree. I would yeah, agree that, that they've they've seen the opportunity and something that they had planned for 20, 10 years down the road and jumped in on it. And this it you are right about you know different wealths. Like there's a difference between people being wealthy and people being really wealthy and it feels apart. A million it's 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 massive. And when people are of that wealth and they see then what's going on around the world, they're not making proper decisions. Um, and they're making it because of what benefits to themselves. And one of the scary things which I which I'm worried about is the small business. You know, it's you get rid of, say, an example, because we're all talking about restaurants. You get take away small restaurant businesses. That means then it opens up more for the bigger chain of businesses mm. to gain more profit and to gain more customers towards them. So that's just one part of it. Then there's the climate change and there's so much going in. And But it's, in my own opinion, I don't like it. Simon. I go back to what Brian was saying there because because I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist either, Brian, but 
But I have to say, you know, and I've chatted to Joe a lot about this over the last six months in particular. I, I just think the messaging out there is so chaotic that I, I wonder whether it's intentionally chaotic or whether they're really that much in chaos. And I'm talking specifically about the government here, but it's not just here. Are they trying to do this to con- confuse? Are they really that chaotic? Do they really know what, not, what what's not going on? If they really are that chaotic and they are the governors of the country, it's pretty scary stuff. So I just look at it, and it's much easier then than to put two and two together and come to four, and, and as Eddie said, conflate things. It's more almost more justifiable because you start thinking, is this really that mad? So, Brian, is that is that what you're saying? It's just it seems so chaotic, it's almost surreal, and it's it's easier. It's almost like it's easier to believe in the supernatural kind yeah. of thing. It, it almost is easier to believe yeah. when you see the chaos because you would like to give the government at the moment some credit for doing a good job, okay? And in certain parts, I believe they have done a good job. And in others, you know, you have one leader of one party that will come out and deliver a message. And tomorrow or this afternoon, the leader of the other party will come out and give a slightly different message. So his party will seem to be a little better idea, okay? And then you have a third party that comes out that when they speak, you actually can't make sense of what they say at all, right? Um, whereas I look at everybody that has been elected to the doll is there to represent us, the citizen, to do the best that they can for the country. Yeah. So when somebody said on uh, one of the political shows last week, as a as a uh, an elected member but not in the government, that they hadn't had a COVID nineteen update from the government since December last year I was almost and I'm quite calm I was almost tearing my hair out going well why aren't you knocking down the door why aren't you demanding to know what's going on you're elected to represent everybody they're all there to do that so why should somebody be outside who's elected to the doll and not and, and be able to say I don't know what's going on that's not right yeah no I agree Eddie Eddie what what's your sense I mean you've You've brushed with with these classes, and you and you have a kind of. A, I'm just interested in your sense of: Are they really that chaotic? Are they disinterested? Disinter- disinterested? Are they splintered, or is this something worse, or is it just just sad? Is it sad and all that stuff? Well, I think I think the current government were, were probably one of the weakest governments we've ever had in the history of the state. Uh, just barely hanging in there, and um, very con- conflicted internally. Sinn Féin then are, are, you know, making hay, you know, promising, you know, jam for everybody. It doesn't matter. You know, you can just just print money, etc. We all know that's nonsense, but that like it, it, it you know, it's gathering. It's, you know, it's, it's fanning, fanning the flames. Um, and, and it's understandable, too, especially when you look at the start of the, um, the, the, the state that we've got the country into for young people trying to get into the housing market. Yeah. I mean, it's shocking. But more importantly for me, like last it was the week last week, I mean the government basically just surrendered. It just just surrendered, walked off the pitch and handed it over to uh, a health technocracy. Yeah, and these are unelected people on the public payroll that are dictating how this country is now running, mm-hmm. and they're the, the political class are terrified of taking them on or questioning them, even though. I mean, science walked out the door a long time ago when it came to how we've been managing the pandemic. So, I mean, the science around mask wearing, around distancing, all of it now is questionable. The the ideological position they took on, on antigen testing just doesn't stand up at all. It's unscientific. Yeah. Um, and let's be clear, what they've said is that they, they, they believe that antigen testing needs to be independently studied in the Republic of Ireland under, guess who, under NEFED yeah. at the HSE. I mean, this is bizarre stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and and now we find, uh, you know, the, the hospitality sector isn't opening. And the worst thing of all for me, I mean, I, I think it's extremely serious, the red line. And it's it's back to what was said earlier on, that, that we're going to cause uh, a segregation you know, the Irish people are going to be segregated into the, we're going to other people, uh, which is why I was bringing up quite recently the Enabling Act of 1933 in Germany, because that's how these things start out. When you start creating a division in a society and you're, cre- you're creating a degree of distrust and then suspicion and then hate of a substantial minority of the population, i.e. the unvaccinated, for whatever reason, 
Uh, it's totally and utterly unacceptable. But that is what has been decided. That is the that was the uh, that was the demand that Neffet made. You know, if you want any kind of relaxation on the rules that we are imposing and we are the health czars here, even though they're completely out of kilter and they're not being questioned because the bloody fourth estate is in such a weak condition, that, that, that the price we will pay is the segregation of the Irish people into vaccinated and unvaccinated and you'll be going around with a badge. That is totally and utterly unacceptable to the point that, I mean, even though even though these hospitality sectors have had an absolutely horrible time, I hope that enough of them will be courageous enough to say we're not doing that. We're just, just not prepared to do that. Because if they do, I can tell you, they're going to get boycotted by, by those of us who, who see this for what it is. Mm. It's a very, very dangerous slope. And yes. it's extraordinary that the main political parties and the main political leaders aren't calling it out for what it is. So why doesn't Neffet see it like the rest of us? Very good question. If I tell you a quick story, it might might, might help. I, I, I ran across this quite recently and I thought it just completely encapsulated where we've got. It has to do with psychology now and it has to do with um, indoctrination and, and the, the fact that, the, that most people in the middle have been radicalised by what they've heard over the last year and a half from the same sources. So this guy got a dog, new dog, took the dog down to the ocean, threw in a pedal. The dog ran across the water, picked up the stone and came back across the water again. He was extraordinary. He was amazed. So he did it a second time. Same thing happened. Third time, same thing happened. He was elated. He ran up to his neighbor and called him down and said, let me show you this. My new dog. And he threw the stone again and the dog ran out to get the stone, crossed the water. And he did that three times. And he said, isn't that extraordinary? And the neighbor was completely unimpressed. Must have been a member of Nefford. Completely unimpressed. He said, did you just see the dog? The dog walked on the water. And the other guy said, all you've proven to me is that your, your dog doesn't know how to swim. And that's oh, yeah. where we are. Yeah. We've reached a point now where it's, it's, a, it's, it's an ingrained belief. The, the Neffet, in my opinion, should have never been allowed broadcast directly to the public. It should have been reporting to the government. That didn't happen. Exactly. That's what we, I had, we had Bowers and, and Lee every time they, they come and running out as if they talked to Santa Claus and got, a, got an actual interview with him to describe... What, what was now happening. We've had the same numbers every day, even though we know that these cases, the PCR cases, the data and all of that is extremely suspect. Not, not just suspect, it's actually wrong. Right? We also know that the excess debt numbers are, are, are not there. They're the same numbers each year. There's a different distribution of the numbers, but the numbers are the same. And by the way, we're not, we're not unique in that regard. The Swedes have no excess debts really either. When you when you look at it correctly, as opposed, to, I mean, I can't trust anything they tell tell us at the moment because it, it's it slipped into propaganda a long time ago. Now, wh- why has it happened? Because of the aforementioned problem with the political class that we've got running the government. They're extremely weak. And by the way, and if you look to the opposition, they're worse because, as you said, they're an opposition. They're supposed to be opposing. Mm. There's no opposition. I mean, Sinn Féin are just following the party line. Nobody wants to appear to take on the, the, the medical technocracy, despite the fact that all of the science is there, all of the experts are out there, if you're prepared to listen to them and, and, and listen past mainstream media and RT in Ireland, and, and actually just listen to people and what they're saying. The experts throughout the world are saying the same stuff. It's not, okay. and it's, it's not making up stuff like this is, this is science. I had a couple of American colleagues one during the week say to me, and I couldn't answer it, she said, why can't you fly around Europe like the rest of Europeans? And she said, "Why? What? How? How come you can fly to Athens and eat in an Irish pub in Athens, but you can't eat in an Irish <laughs> pub in Ireland?" I couldn't yeah. answer. Well, yeah. well, in fact, do you know what? It, it's actually a bit more serious uh, than that. I was talking to a senior business person very recently uh, who's involved in the in the travel industry, and I'm simply saying that Ireland has become a joke. It's a running joke in Europe. Mm-hmm. It's beyond embarrassing. It just looks as if we're we're some kind of I mean like as if we've replaced a, a religious theocracy with a medical theocracy, you know that's what we're doing. I mean, it's just extraordinary stuff. And now our neighbours next door uh, are kicking out all of the stuff because the vaccines have come in, and whether they're right or wrong, that's their decision based on their medical information. And and it's the same virus, by the way, in Britain as it is in Ireland as it is everywhere else. And, and all these variants, I mean, we could go through the entire Greek alphabet based on the way Neffet are set up. And, uh, and, and once they've exhausted the Greek alphabet, sure, the, the, the climate change crowd will be in saying, thanks, thanks for the handover, lads. Everybody stay at home. What, and stop, the, and stop one, breathing. A of things, you know? 
Don't be breathing as much. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. A couple of things that are popping up as well, especially with Nevit, is, you know, the modelling. They've been questioned about the modelling and they're not getting back to anyone. One of the other things about the restaurants, my own theory on this is that it's to get partners to get their partners to get vaccinated. It, you know, it, I want to go down to the pub, you need yeah. to get vaccinated or I want to go on holiday. So it's it's pushing them that way because realistically, because of body integrity and your your medical records are private, pubs and restaurants cannot really enforce this, even though there's a, a department outside the government scaring the living daylights out of people. A question then that brings up and a lot of people are asking it, and especially, you know, we've had Ivor Cummings on the show before. He has spoken to us about stuff as well. Why is there no debate is the question on mainstream media. They have to report and not be the propaganda machine of the government. So why is this all all happening? Well, let's just break it down into let's just get into the into the undergrowth. Firstly, RT is the state broadcaster. Journalism walked out the door in March 2020 with RT. It's quite clear. There's been no journalism. It's just take take the stuff and broadcast whatever Neffet they're saying. Uh, that you'll have a few he said, she said um, interviews on prime time just to keep the flag flying. But realistically, you, you don't go to RT for journalism. In fact, if you want good mental health, you just turn off RT completely, in my opinion. We should have had a, a counter counter news from news talk but unfortunately dennis o'brien at the same time was selling news talk so what did he do he turned it into a magazine program where people ring in about their feelings all day long news has gone from there as well unfortunately and the, the maverick type of panel panel members and all the rest of it pulled and the reason for it was that news talk needed to sit down in front of the government to get permission to sell the license to somebody else at some stage within the next 12 to 18 months. So that was gone, unfortunately, having done a great job up until then. Now we look at Virgin, TV3, complete mess. I mean, it's just, it's beyond feelings. Like it's fashion, it's big hair, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, all of that woke stuff, right? But like, God help us that there'd be any hard, hard type of discussion going on. So that's gone as well. And remember, we're a visual and audio people. So now we're left with the print media. The print media absolutely exhausted on its legs. Journalists throwing in copy, putting uh, on fumes. Same editors, part of the impact of social media over a decade. And along comes, along comes this. And I, I can tell you for a fact that, that those newspapers are barely hanging in there. And where where is their largest source of revenue? Have a guess. Have a guess. They'd have Probably revenues, not, yeah. kept the newspapers. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be on pop payments. They kept the newspapers going over the last 12 months. Mm. So there is a kind of a group think that's taken place. And anybody who's who's been trying to be maverick and all of that inside in it has been literally pushed to the side, as from what I can see anyway. Uh, and uh, and that's what we've got. I mean, if you open up the newspaper, there are, there are times it's a bunch of opinions. You know, it's 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 pilot pilot or tool to start. Right. Every day, you know, the world according to Finton. Uh, and, and that kind of leads the opinion of the of the Irish Times. And then the Irish Times, of course, is the go to newspaper if you're a leaker. So if you're in a member of the cabinet or you're a senior civil servant and your job is to leak information, it's said it in the Irish Times. So the Irish Times get the leaks and they mm. call it journalism. Isn't journalism my eye? It, they're just carrying leaks from official official sources. Otherwise, They'll cut them off in the leaks. They'll give the leaks to the next but it, news. But paper. it's not about it's not journalism. It's entertainment now. Everything is yeah. under in entertainment. Yeah. And when it's, when it's when it's under entertainment, really, when it's under entertainment, you can say what you want. It's you know? not. Listen, entertainment is giving it too high of too too high a value. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about filler. I mean, if you turn on the news, if you turn on the television channel, at least you can flick channels to some other show that's actually real entertainment as opposed to filler. This is filler. And that's why it's not been happening. And the problem that's created for all of us that that are independent thinking, there's lots of people out there that think like this. They're just afraid to say it. Brian, Brian, what what, what, what do you, I see you're nodding here. What do you feel about all this? I mean, are we a laughing, do you think we are a laughing stalker right now? I I think we are. I think we are. Uh, 
I think the the aviation se- sector. The only person talking true truthfulness in that is uh, our friend in Ryanair when he says it as it is, and he calls out the silly things that we're doing. I do think, though, uh, uh, Simon, that we are we are that close in this country to people losing it. Yeah. I really do. I really, really do. Yeah, I and I think um, the representative bodies of different industries, because every single industry in this country is faced with the same question. When people start going back to the workplace, what are we going to do with the vaccinated and the unvaccinated? And I'm completely with you here. You cannot segregate people. You have to respect people's. If I'm vaccinated, fine. If you're not, I respect that. I understand that. Okay. But I think the likes of the pubs, uh, the hospitality sector, I think they've got to the point now where if they don't open in July, somebody's going to get together and go, do you know what? I don't care. We're all opening. We have we, we, we have to have a business. We have to do whatever. And then as citizens, we will make the decision as to whether we want to go inside or not. And that's what freedom is all about to me. Well, yeah, I'm just... inclined to agree with Brian on that. If I could just jump in, I, I'm, in yeah. I'm inclined to think that that's where we're ending up. I yeah. mean, I think when when the political class has failed people, when the fourth estate, the media, has failed the people, um, when when the when the government has failed the people, uh, w- what can the people do except engage in civil disobedience and simply say we're not putting it up? But no, we're going to be helped enormously because on the 19th of July. Next door, they're ditching the whole thing. The whole rule book is being thrown into the toilet and flushed down the toilet on the basis of the vaccination levels they're at. And we're not too far behind. And what are we going to look like then? But there's, I mean, how are we going to handle that? I'm going to just throw this out. Is it actually, this is conspiracy, whatever it may be. Do the government want us to have civil unrest? Are they, are they pushing us to a point where a part of their objective or plan is to have civil unrest in the country. John, you're giving them too much credit. Yeah. Like I said earlier, <laughs> I think, I think, I think you're giving them too much credit. I, I don't think they think that far ahead. I genuinely don't. I don't think we have politicians today. God, I didn't think I'd ever say this, right? But I don't think we have politicians today like we had in the past. And we had some very bad politicians in the past. You know, we've had our we've had our scandals and our fraud scandals in the past, and we've been told to, you know, tighten our belts while other people were not tightening their belts. But you know, we had people who stepped up to the mark in the past and got things done. Yeah. But we don't seem to have anybody. Is the dog my- or the tail wagging the dog? I was just going to say, if you could both visualize, maybe start with you, Eddie. Assuming there is going to be a great reset in Ireland, whether that's Sinn Féin finally getting into power or whether it's civil unrest, what would you predict is the most likely reset over the next five years, Eddie? Well, the first thing is that, you know, because we're members of the EU, we're bound by the Fiscal and Compact Treaty. So it doesn't matter really who's uh, who's in the theatre and the doll. The, that's the first thing. The second thing is that it, it also is the case that, the, that Ireland isn't run from Dáil Éireann anyway. Right. It's not run. It's run. It's run from. It's run from the what I what I would call the deep state. The the infrastructure around that, and we're seeing an example of that. I mean, that's what NEFID is classically. Yeah. It's it's just it happens to just be specialising in health. They're, that's what's really running the show. Um, I mean, if we had no government, if we did a kind of a Belgian situation, we'd no government for a year or two. Ireland would just take along, yeah. you know. So so we have these. Politicians in the Dáil, the, the Dáil Chamber itself is weakened because it transfers the power to the imperial capital in Brussels. Well, that's just membership of the EU. The Fiscal and Compact Treaty is there. So it really doesn't, if we get a Sinn Féin led coalition, it would be a coalition if we do get an alternative government and they swing, you know, if they try and swing too far left with massive taxation and borrowing, they'll run straight up against uh, resistance from Brussels. And this is a practice that's been tried by the left in Italy and got nose planted. And the same, of course, in Greece and got nose, nose planted. I mean, there are rules that we've signed up to and those rules would have to be abided by. Now, let's say we decide, well, let's just break the rules and be damned. Well, then financial markets will nose plant us because they won't lend us the money at the rates we want the money to be lent yeah. us. To. So there are, there are, so, so, I mean, for me, that's the bottom line. So that's what, so how would a reset look like? Well, it would just be a series of coalition we coalition governments, um, you know, Lanigan's ball in again, out again, uh, on, until it all settles down into some kind of 
nor, you know, nor, normal type of government. But um, I, I, I do think, though, that the, the biggest challenge that we're facing when it comes to the impacts on politics is the, is the massive deficit facing young people. I think that is a serious problem. Uh, it means that the young people that are now getting on are the young people who are sons and daughters of wealthy families because they're getting mummy and daddy's leg up for the deposit into the house. And, and that's seriously in an unequal society. And, and of course, we have the, uh, the huge deficits in around um, large parts of the greater Dublin area and other parts of cities around the country as well that are, just don't have the same resources as other parts. And all of that has to be faced. So the only way of doing that is by consensus, by, 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 by you know, I mean, unfortunately, the political system we have is adversarial. I mean, I'd much prefer to see a Nordic type model where, where you have committees with power and, and they decide the budgets on an ongoing basis. And there is a there's a there's a consensus and, a, and you know, a, a, not a consensus. There is a, negoti- a negotiated solution between both left and right thinking, right wing thinking um, politicians, and they come up with proper policies. But unfortunately, we allow, you know, you, you, you can't be a dentist or a doctor, drive a taxi, drive a lorry without having some kind of um, uh, some some kind of a competence test and then an ongoing CPD. There's very few professions in Ireland left where you can just turn up. Uh, and one of those is politics. You don't need you don't need an education in public administration. You don't need any experience in managing anything beyond the bicycle shop. Uh, and you can just go in and be a cabinet member without any experience at all in managing complex enterprises. And then we wonder why we get keep getting the outcomes we get. Yeah, I mean, true. come on. And then you, no can hire, you can hire whatever advisor you want, even though we have so many <sighs> civil servants who are there for years and years and years with well, the experience. But we've got to get away from those populist views, Eddie, where yeah. politicians are able to say something that clearly they're not going to be able to deliver. And citizens need to get to a situation where they actually listen to what these people are saying and go, I don't believe you. And stop voting for the same thing time and time again, because what this country, I believe, needs is a radical change in the political structure, the way in which they look at how they're going to build the country. And I mean, having plans to, say, build houses in the next 20 years that is agreed through everybody in the doll. And it doesn't matter whether there's an election next week or next month, but that policy stands and we go and we deliver what we say. Not somebody gets in in, in, two, in two months' time and changes the plan. And it's another five years and another five years and nothing is delivered. That's, that's what but needs if to you change. Come, Yeah, but if, even if you come to the point that you just made, right, that, um, you know, who's going to... Who's going to highlight the fact that these people can't deliver what they'll say they'll deliver, and it's all just bullshit, right? How mm. how do you actually highlight that? Question I'd ask is not how do you do it, who will do it, not how who. Yeah, who who? Well, who? I mean, prime time. I mean, you're joking me. Like balance, yeah. balance. Left and he said, she says, and, and yes. we we'll that there, folks, and we'll have another contest next week. Yeah, I'm with you. So you need you need to have people in the media who, if a politician is going to go on to on to um, the TV, that they're going to get a rough time. That they're going to have to answer the questions, as you said. You can't get a job. And Simon and, and Joe, you guys have been CEOs. You can't be a CEO without having a competency test, and and somebody asks you questions about your business, and you have to answer it. That's what has to happen. And yes. Sorry, no, I, I watched them. The, the PAC, the political correspondent PAC, are not interested in policy and reading the detail and, and getting into the substantive issues. Quite clearly, they're interested in the personality side, the circus. Quite clear, like the standard of coverage we have in, in, in political coverage is, is, is exactly, is entertainment. You know, it's not down into... It's not down into the meat and vegetables of the thing. Occasionally it breaks out. You've occasionally got a good interviewer asking a good person who's in a good interviewee and you get it out. And then we're back to slap. We're back to kind of slapdash, you know, politics all over again, parish pump stuff. You know, we've yeah. seen that in the Dublin South election. You know, I mean, it's just classic, you know, throwing muck at one another and all of that. And when we're wondering why, why, why we end up you know, almost where the government are going to get Holy Communion from Neffet every week. As, as my brother, God rest his soul, said, you know, politics is show business for ugly people. 
<laughs> believing what he's saying now. Simon, from a, from a brand finance perspective, what's brand financing seen Ireland uh, and how they're playing out at the moment? Ireland is, so brand finance is the world's biggest brand valuation company from the UK. And they, they're literally set, finally setting up here in Ireland after five years of having an agency. And Ireland is the fourth most intangible economy in the world, which means it's a whether you use the term tax haven or a great place to invest, whatever your interpretation of this is. And they they would have concerns about the longevity of this. And it's interesting. I just it's funny you should ask me the question because I was just looking, I just gazed over to my phone and I saw an article in the Financial Times, the UK Financial Times, and I'll just read it. It says today. Uh, no, yes, today, Ireland frets about losing its sacrosanct low tax regime. Then it says, a history of high unemployment and emigration helps to explain opposition to global levy. What, Brian, I'll start with you and then go to Eddie. Is Ireland fretting about losing its sacrosanct low tax regime? You you wouldn't think it when you listen to what Pascal O'Donnell has to say. You, you, you wouldn't think so, but... You guys keep me straight here. We're in the EU. Twenty-seven states have to agree if we change our twelve and what is it, twelve and a half percent to the fifteen percent or whatever they want to change it to. Um, I I think we're going to get thrown under a bus here by the EU. I think eventually. I think that the the patience has run out. I think I said it before that given the pandemic, our tax intake was only down one percent last year which shows the reliance we have on all those multinationals you know who aren't even paying the amount of tax that you should be paying so i think we're a very dysfunctional economy i i don't want to see another financial crash like 2008 i, I really don't we're just getting over the other one we've borrowed so much money now the last thing we need is more instability with the tax rate yeah. but but I mean, look, just the logic of the thing, if there is a global agreement that everybody signs up to, that you know, this is the this is this this is the, the basement, the bargain basement below which you can't set your corporation tax rate. And and there's a few outliers out there, you know, the former, you know, the former islands of the Dutch or British Empire, you know, out in the middle of the arsehole of nowhere. Like yeah. the world technology industry isn't just going all you know, set up shop in these places, you know. So I think that I think that if everybody's moving at the same time, then we move at the same time. It's not going to be catastrophic at all. Um, uh, there's a thing called growth, you know, future growth as well, even if the rate is a little bit higher. Uh, and I think we just need to be, you know, we, we need to be careful. And also there's an awful lot of hypocrisy around, uh, you know, national taxation. It's quite clear that uh, when you really, when you take it all in and in on the round, Ireland isn't too far out from many other countries. Uh, it's quite clear that, for example, the main sinks, as I've said this before, for uh, for all of the flows that happen internationally between companies was examined a few years ago by people associated with the University of Amsterdam. I think it was the Carpen study. And, and it showed that most of the money ends up in the, in the, in the former tax havens of the British and Dutch uh, empires. And the, yeah. the two biggest conduit com- company countries through which all of the money flows is Holland and Britain. We're there as well, but we're we're down with like Switzerland. We're below Switzerland and Singapore, if I recall from my from my thinking. And most of the money that flows to Ireland doesn't end up in these Dutch and British ex-colonies. It ends up back in the United States anyway. Yeah. So there's been a lot of there's been a lot of nonsense in my opinion talked about it, but it's also worked its way into the local, you know, domestic politics left and right. And so on, but I mean, we, we we it does seem very odd that um somebody on low wages in Ireland, I think over thirty single person of over a low number, the average close to the average wage in Ireland is paying the top rate of tax. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, right. in Sweden, in Sweden, you have to be earning at least about two and a half times, three times. Last time I looked at it, uh, the average wage in order to hit the highest rate of tax in Sweden. Yeah, you know? no, Eddie, Eddie, I lived in Australia for ten years, and then I've come back and. I just don't know how honest, working, younger families save money. I think it's almost impossible to save money in Ireland because the tax rates are so high, prices are so high. It's just mm. the, the purchasing power is shocking. You know? Simon, I think I it's designed that way. I really do. I think it's 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 all designed that way. And one of the things, the problem with the civil service here 
you know, stuff goes into the civil service. Nobody can make a decision. So paperwork or whatever is just pushed around from different levels. And when it gets to a point, it might go down to the higher levels. The higher level then can't make a decision. So they call in uh, an outside advisor to see. And that's all that happens. That's why t things either are never done or never really change here. So I've said this to you before. I, I think the political system here is is broke. I don't think you can fix it putting in new stuff. I think it needs to be dismantled and replaced with something better. And that's for our political system, our political leaders, whoever it may be, to look at that because you can't stick a band-aid on something that's broken. One last thing, guys, before we go. Um, the vulture funds. Last night, I think there was a vote in uh, in the government which gave the green light for vulture funds. Yeah, well, the uh, the government come up with a scheme which would be which would allow um, people to um, change their buy to lets into social housing units, which would then be signed up into long term leases with local government. You know, twenty five year index linked leases starting at a net yield of around five percent would be pretty typical. Uh, the main the main local governments involved in that market really are only is Dublin City Council and Dunleary Rat Down. Um, most mo, mostly Dublin centred. Most of the other local governments haven't really got done much, uh, and not because they don't want us. Just they just don't have the capacity to actually deal with the with the private sector. Uh, you know that that interface between the private sector and and local governments is a bit like the Gaza Strip. So um, and and that's that's an issue. So there's a complete ideological difference there. So what's what 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 had been proposed was that big funds. Uh, to exclude big big funds from that market, so that if you bought more than ten, that your fund, and therefore you were going to pay ten percent stamp duty. That would that would see them off, and that's been relaxed. And that was a surprise to me. Um, I, I'm not quite sure yet how to read it, um, but it doesn't look good because it's quite clear that the that the big funds, yes, are helping to ramp up supply. There's no doubt about that, and that's terribly important. But the price of ramping up the supply then is is driving is driving up costs way beyond the affordability of average workers in Dublin. It's a real yeah. Dublin problem. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I can tell you that, like, if you get two professionals working together in Dublin today, they need to have joint incomes of around a hundred thousand a year to get into into the starter home market. Mm -hmm. And that means that Dublin is broken. I mean, it's broken. Yeah, and it it's not, by the way, it's not the only thing that's broken. Like Stockholm would be the same, where they put in, you know, they, they, they fixed rents in Stockholm years ago, nine years to get a, an apartment in Stockholm in the city centre, um, and um, nine years on the waiting list. So the only way of dealing with this is, is your supply and demand. And every time you try and mess around with all these tweaks, you 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 just it, it it's always a negative outcome. You need more supply. You need better planning. I think the planning system should come under a, a judge, a high court, an actual planning court, and take it away from everybody else. And everybody goes and makes their case to the experts in the planning court, and the planning court makes a decision, and that's the decision. And you get on with it. Um, but you know the problem is that um, whenever you come up with any kind of policy changes in Ireland and suggestions, it, it you know there's just another report issued and another report, another report, and nothing ever, no, nothing ever happens. Right. Uh, so one last comment. I remember I was asked there some years ago to speak to a socialist party um, a gathering in uh, in the in the Gresham Hotel in Dublin, and I think I was the I, I was the I was the I was the offering to the. Uh, to, to the attendees to be to, to be eaten, you know, uh, giving, giving the alternative view. So, and, you know, and the, the, the mood at the meeting was quite, there was a lot of young people, very, very bright bunch of people too. And they were basically saying that housing is a human right. It's very hard to argue with that, right? It's, it's, it's a human right. So I just simply asked one question. I said, how many people in this room pay, pay any kind of tax at the top rate? Nobody put up their hands. So, like, what people were looking for was they wanted these things, but they weren't prepared to pay for them themselves. They wanted somebody else to pay for them, yeah. and that's the issue. That's an Irish. That's a very Irish thing. You know, we want these things, but we're not prepared to pay for them. So, if you go to Finland, for example, which is a fantastic education system, fantastic health system, your the income tax rates are a little bit lighter than Ireland, but not a lot. But you pay you pay about eighteen or nineteen percent on top of that in social insurance, for which you get the best education system in Europe, a fantastic health system, 
uh, childcare and an awful lot of other benefits from the Finnish government. But you pay for them. You get it, you pay for them. But what we want over here is we want these things, but we just don't want to pay for them. Well, we want the other crowd to pay for them, not not, not our gang. You know, well, that's, that's the that's political that's system. Yeah. I agree with everything that Eddie said there. I think the local authorities just have to build houses, Joe. I think they have to go back to what we did in the in the 60s and the 70s in this country and, and build them themselves or it's not going to happen. But Brian, they don't have the workforce to build the houses. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I get that. We we've allowed we've allowed the people who built during the um before the, the financial crash to leave yeah. the country. So we've paid people put payments who are no longer in the country and we still we're still paying them. But I think they need to have they need to build, they need to get people. Not everybody wants to go to university. They need to have some skills to be able to uh, start rebuilding the country, infrastructure, all that. And um, when we say that people want things and they don't want to pay for them, I don't necessarily agree with that in 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 exactly what the way Eddie said it, and I might have taken him up wrong. I think people are willing to pay. It's the way we're being asked to pay and the amount of tax that we're paying at the moment that you actually can't see yeah. what you're getting for what you pay. All you see money. is a black hole and 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 this, hearing the same conversations. I mean, this morning on the radio talking about the children's hospital, it's a disaster. You know, it's going to that thing's going to cost probably three billion by the time they're by the time they're finished. So I think we, if we knew what we were going to get for what we pay, or if you were given a statement at the end of every year of where your money went. Whether you agree where it went or not, at least you would kind of go, okay, well, at least there's childcare and there's. You but know, you're looking, there's... yeah, you're looking for value for money and accountability. Yes, the, yeah, <laughs> but that's not in this country, Eddie. You know, that's that that that's what's needed, and that's what the people in the civil service need to need to deliver. Okay, yeah, that's I what was, they should be doing. I was one of the people that commissioned a report there by um, a UCD professor. Um, at the start of last year, just before the pandemic, about introducing um, a social progress index for Ireland, which would measure the progress or going back or forward, right, across all sorts of uh, social indices. In other words, health, housing, security, all that type of stuff. And it would compress it into one index, just like GDP. So if GDP goes up by five, but our social, pro pro uh, social um, progress index falls, I mean, clearly, there's something terribly going wrong. So, how do you measure? What's been to a point? How do you measure the social progress index? Well, you do things like you gather hard data. Obviously, we have experts to do that in the CSO, but you also gather soft data. So, you actually do surveys of Irish citizens at the point of their interface or engagement with the Irish state. Whatever it is, you collect the data and then you use artificial intelligence to go around scooping up all the opinions across the multi, multi million points on social media. And you bring it all together and you produce the policy and you produce the feedback, the information in mathematical terms. So policymakers, you would say, well, that's a very good idea. That's a logical idea. Yeah. And then you start linking remuneration to social progress index indices. So we launched this with Professor Cal Muckley in, uh, in February 2020 uh, in Dublin. And, and invited in all the departments. And of course, somebody came, a few people are turned up from the department of the T-shirt and the department of finance. And one of them came up to me afterwards and said, we, we can't have this. We can't, you can't, you can't measure. Sure, we're doing this already. I said, you are, you're measuring yourself. That's the problem. So this will be measured by the people. The citizens do the measuring. The civil servants just, just collate it. Yeah. And of course, that went in then into the program for government. And it is the opening policy in the current government's program for government, a social a social index. And as soon as it as soon as it was announced, you know what's happened now? Well the Department of Finance came up with their own their own idea on, on how all this should be done. And they've taken complete ownership of it. And is there going to be any mathematical measurements? Are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> so just another report. Yeah. And it, and it's just out again. It's just it's just another version of another version of it. Just so the whole thing has been corrupted. Because oh. of the threat, it was a threat to the status quo, and you're up, you're up against that all the time. Now, I was involved with the Jack and Jill Children's Foundation when we were objecting to the site of the Children's Hospital in the James, and I can tell you, just before that, we had done a, an economic study which showed 
that the way the Jack and Jill Children's Foundation was looking after the children, the most vulnerable children in Ireland, was nine times more efficient with a far higher satisfaction from the parents of the children involved than leaving them, abandoning them in acute hospitals, which is the alternative. Mm. And and why was the system successful? And how was the system being done? The cash was, we were giving, the, we give the cash to the parents and the parents buy the service they require from expert pediatric nurses, absolute heroines, all of them, throughout oh, the country. So, 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 do you know what happens? It goes into the Department of Health and the yeah. Department of Health, we're not doing this. They don't even turn up at the launch, despite so, the fact that at the time the, 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 the government was for it. They just said no. And that was the end of it. So Eddie, you, basically, in a nutshell, it sounds to me like you're saying that we're Ireland is kind of in this perpetual state of purgatory between comparatively high taxes and comparatively low quality public services because the ruling classes are scared of accountability. Is it, does it boil down to that? We should have just said at the start of the program. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, well summarised, well, Simon. <laughs> unfortunately, we'll have to leave that as the last part. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a very interesting conversation. Uh, I hope a lot of people here on the airwaves uh, will get a lot from it. Brian, Eddie, thanks for coming on the show. That was a great show. Lots of information. One of the things that's actually just sparked with me is, uh, as, as everything does after our conversations, is the modeling system that the National Public Health uh, Team are using. And you know, a lot of people are asking this question. What is the modeling system that they use? And I asked a friend of mine who has been following this story for a long time, what question would you like to ask or what question would you like our public officials to ask Tony Houlihan and the National Public Health Team as well? And this is what he had to say. What original peer-reviewed data has been compiled and validated as accurate where was it obtained by? Okay, where is the original source? Where has the model been actually validated in the real world? And what parameters have been changed monthly or weekly based on your new findings? And where can I find that data? Right. I, I don't want I'm not interested. Like you can show me what you found, what you got, show me your calculations. I want to see your suite of calculations. I want so that software, that piece of software or calculations should be in the public domain that the public can see it because they have a right to see it because it's impinging on them because otherwise it's totally arbitrary and there's no no science in it whatsoever. Could be faulty, bottom line. Right? Okay, so even, even if you totally back it up, it just could be faulty, it could be wrong. How do we know it's right? Even if the information has been put into it right, the exact case studies and all that stuff. So it's just, it's unraveled the whole thing because yeah. it's only modeling. And if you look the word modeling up, Joe, model, like if I have a model railway, it means it's not real. It's not real. They're telling you. Yes. Thanks for that, Dave. Uh, very uh, good questions there. And I think they are questions that people need to answer. Um, you know, we need to find out the truth. Good questions always give us great answers. Get that pen and paper ready. Start writing it out because we need to, you know, we need to get out of this. We really, really do need to get out of this. Look what's happening in England. Look what's happening in Europe. People are laughing at us all over the world. Um, and we just want what's best for us. We really do. So, and we're allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to ask questions. And when we do, we find out the answers. And that helps us move forward. Again, till next week, take care and God bless.